Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Perhaps you remember following the death of Michael Brown, Jr. in St. Louis, Missouri in August of 2014, that the protesters included the chant, no justice, no peace. The slogan actually goes back further than that, however. It goes back to the aftermath of an incident called the Howard Beach Incident in December of 1986. In that situation, a Trinidadian immigrant, Michael Griffin, was killed by a mob of white youths. And actually, that saying goes back even further. It goes back as far as the prophet Isaiah. And from the prophet Isaiah, we get that it's not just about no justice, no peace. It's also about no justice, so that you may know peace. <coughs> Excuse me. And in his message of January the 1st, 1972, Pope Paul VI quoted Isaiah 32, 17, saying, justice will bring about peace. And then added, in his own words, we repeat this today in a more incisive and dramatic formula. If you want peace, work for justice. So from that slogan, another developed. It was no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus. No peace. So with the greatest of respect for those who protested the undeserving violent deaths of young black men with no Jesus, no peace. Today, following the hearing of our gospel story, it seems fitting to me at least that we can say no Jesus, no Jesus. Let me explain why. This week's reading from the Gospel of John includes one of the most famous and infamous verses in all of the New Testament. Jesus remarked, no one comes to God except through me. Too often, this sentence is distorted into a dogma of exclusion, as if Jesus is saying, if you're not Christian and you don't say all the right words in the right order, you're damned. This is a devastating misunderstanding of this passage, and not at all what Jesus meant. So what's he up to? Well, what we have to remember is that Jesus, when he shares this remark, is in the upper room with his disciples, at least in the Gospel of John. It is pretty exclusively the, uh, the, the, the Gospel of says that it's exclusively the disciples that are there. And what, and what does Jesus do in that upper room? 
washes their feet, which is shocking to them. And then he actually gives them a new commandment. You know, he, he washes their feet and he says, do to others this. And, and then he gives them a new commandment and says, um, as I have loved you, so you should love each other. This is remarkable. And he said it not just once, but three times in a row. He says some version of that. As I have loved you, so you should love each other. Love one another, he says. Love one another, he repeats. So then, after all of that, Jesus begins to talk about how he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to suffer, and ultimately die. And the disciples are stunned, shocked, and become quickly afraid and anxious. And why wouldn't they? They, they thought that this was the Messiah, the one who would redeem Israel. They thought that they would have their country back. They thought that this would be the new king of Israel as David had been a king and now he tells them he's going to suffer and die. And, and so by association, this is not good news for them. I mean, they too may suffer and die. They, they too may be brought up on charges. They, they too may just find themselves flat out wrong.
helps them visualize what is going to happen. And that he is going away in this physical form, but he will always and forever be with them. It's a powerful, powerful story um, that we read today. And as I said, I am so sad it has been so distorted. So far from an intellectual scolding about who's in and who's out, which is what so many people have made this story, Jesus is pastoral. He feels their hurt. He feels their fear. He feels their anxiety. And says to them, take heart and trust me and the one who sent me. You know, I, I don't know that there's a better message for us today in our current circumstances. You know, um, and I don't, I don't have to read the list to you. You know it. You know it too well. I mean, you know, we thought that this pandemic would lift, and it hasn't. In fact, uh, the numbers of illnesses and deaths continue to rise dramatically. Um, and so we were thinking we wouldn't be doing this separate thing all this long time. And when we hear that it's still going on, it, it's hard. You know, uh, parents are having to learn to be teachers, and um, and and I think we thought we'd learned some lessons, some important lessons about what it means to love each other, which is what Jesus asked of us. But you know what's happened? Now we've gone to our separate corners again. We're judgmental. with each other on social media again. Oh, and then there's a young man killed this last week, Ahmad, I think is how it's pronounced. Ahmad, who was just running. Ahmad Arbery. Say his name. Ahmad Arbery who was uh, making the sin of running while black. Oh, we thought um, we had learned lessons of love and care and compassion. But I would say in this situation, there is no chance. My great preaching professor, Zan Holmes, taught me whenever I preach, I'm trying to not only offer the challenge of the gospel, but also to offer the grace of the gospel. And this is what we call it. Jesus knows that in short term, he will depart from his disciples that he loves so much and enter back into the community of God that he is a part of. So, in 
nature, it is complete. By its very nature, it is mutually dependent. And Jesus knows that upon his return into that community, the Holy Spirit will come and dwell, not just with the disciples, but within them. And not just with the world and all its people who are children of God, but within us. That's the good news. And and for the writer of the Gospel of John, which is a very intellectual gospel and very um, spiritual gospel, the, the writer of the Gospel of John is clear that the resurrection is not the end of the story at all. The resurrection is the beginning of God-continued work in the world with the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the good news. And you know how I know this truth and why I preach it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? It's because, well, I had a mother who loved me. I called her Mama Jo. And for a long time, I didn't realize how great her love was because she was a stoic woman, a strong woman. She had strong opinions. And she wasn't at all fond of the fact that I and my younger sister turned out to be lesbians. In fact, she was pretty appalled at first. But because she loved us, she stayed in community with us. She stayed in relationship with us. And when I came home to see my parents with a beautiful wife and a little daughter, she loved them. She loved them. She loved them so much. She loved Sydney so much that she wouldn't make her come to her house. She would say, don't make her. If she comes on her own, do you know how gracious that is for an old woman to want to hold a child? And, and then she did the thing that she did not do for any of her three daughters. She turned her kitchen over to Stephanie's. We were all shocked. That's how much she loved them. And then I saw and then I knew my mom loved me so much and she showed that love in her cooking and in teaching us the ways of Jesus 